Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Good? All right. Well, hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Joe. I'm on staff with H2O. If you're new or visiting H2O, we just want to say welcome. We're excited to have you here. Um, before I start, just a quick shout out. My Cleveland Cavaliers are in the NBA Finals, right? Come on. They're going to take on those evil Golden State Warriors, you know, but, but God's with us, right? No, I'm just kidding. But it's going to be a great game. Excited for them. Um, but uh, as you guys know, along with that, t- just um, this weekend, as you guys know, it's Memorial Day uh, weekend. And I think one thing that's special for me, because I, I served in the Air Force, is remembering the people that have come before us and really uh, sacrificed their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy Um, And so what I want us to do is, during this time, I want to just pray, and I want to pray for our nation. And if you know someone who's um, served in our country and uh, sacrificed their life, or even if you know someone else who has family who's um, had family that sacrificed their lives for the freedoms we enjoy, um, pray and reflect during this time while I'm praying as well. So join me in praying for just our nation during this time. So, God, thank you just for the nation that we're in. God, thank you that... Um, God, you're a God that helped us remember the memories of people who um, were faithful and selfless, just like your son was selfless for us, God. And so, God, thank you for the freedoms we enjoy as a nation. Thank you for those who are um, in the armed services, God, um, fighting for our country, um, whether they're abroad now or returning home, God. Pray that you're with them and you're guiding them. And pray for families as well, that you would continue to bring them peace in your name. Amen. All right, guys, again, thanks for coming today. Um, We are continuing our series we started last week in the Psalms. In this series, we're calling it Unfiltered. And the big thing we really want to take away is that just as the Psalms are unfiltered in their emotions, so we should seek to be unfiltered in our emotions before God and others. And the Psalms, if you don't know, they're a collection of Jewish poetry and songs. Um, they were collected over 3,000 years ago, and they've really impacted people through, throughout the ages. And I think one thing we're going to see you know, throughout this series of the Psalms, they're honest, they're truthful, they're honest about faith, pain, tragedy, joy, and whatever experiences we might be going through. And so they can be a great example for us to learn and grow in our walk with God. And so there's many different topics we could use to help understand the Psalms this summer. The topic that I'm going to talk about today is authenticity and being open and authentic before God. And so a good definition I think we can work with about an authentic life, um, I define it as a life that's open and honest about who you are through how you live. So if you want to write that down, an authentic life is an open and honest life about who you are through how you live. And I think uh, when you look at the world we live in right now, this is something we desire. We desire authenticity. We desire honesty in in looking at the lives of others, even within ourselves as well. But it's honestly quite difficult. Um, In fact, one example, if we look at social media, I recently came across this article from the Huffington Post, and they talked about how social media can create a barrier between becoming more authentic. So I'll read some excerpts from it. It says this. As we know, perception is everything, especially in the world of social media. In terms of perception, we all have an ideal self. We all wish to maximize our careers, our professions, and aspire to be like those who we find most successful. 
as the use of social media continues to evolve, the concept of perceiving our ideal selves versus our real selves has become more and more prevalent on social media. And the article continues and says, as research suggests, your real self is who you are. Your attributes, your characteristics, and your personality. Now, your ideal self is what you feel you should be. Many of us are driven by competition, achievement, and status, and hence the creation and portrayal of our ideal selves. And so concluding this article, the question it asks is this, um, are we really presenting who we are, or are we presenting a hyper-idealistic version of ourselves? And so what it's saying here is that we have, again, we have two selves. We have a real self that we know and we're a part of in our daily lives. And then we have an ideal self that we're presenting to the world. And a recent uh, survey by Pew Research showed that this is creating a lot of stress. And that people that use social media more often than others tend to be more stressed than others as well. And if you've seen the current election, you know why. People are stressed out debating back and forth about different things. Um, But specifically, too, I would even say comparison has caused a lot of stress. And when you think about our world over the last, you know, 30, 50 years, what we used to compare ourselves with were movies, magazines, celebrities, and those people that were perfectly polished, polished and put together. And now, what we're comparing ourselves with, in addition to those things, is our closest friends. And we're seeing the best version of them and their ideal self, and we still see our real self. And so that's hard, because we see our you know, inadequacies and the things that bring us down, and we're comparing ourselves with the perfect image of people around us. And so because of that, the temptation then is to hide, to hide who you are, to put barriers and walls between you and other people and not show who you really are. But when the reality is, people actually like the opposite. <laughs> and as, as I've been growing as a leader and as a man, I've been learning that the more open and authentic you are about your life, the more people are actually drawn into you and actually can continue to learn from who you are and the experiences you have. And so I'm, I'm not, and also I'm not saying that, you know, you need to go home now and put on Facebook every bad thing you've ever done and anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. Don't do that. Um, but what I am saying is we need to have a habit of being authentic, and we should have relationships in our lives where we're being open and honest with who we really are. Because I heard this once, someone said that the deep um, desire of every human being is to know others and to be known by others. And I think that's just so true. And I'm, um, I'm learning this personally right now. As many of you know, I'm getting married July 9th to that girl in the back over there, Sammy. And um, we're super excited. Thank you. Um, and one thing we've been learning along the way, we're in our uh, preparing for marriage season where we're going through premarital counseling and things like that. And we've been asking couples along the way, what, what's the secret? What's the secret to a lasting marriage? And many of the things we've been hearing and people have been telling us is openness, communication, authenticity, being honest with who you are. And, and I think that's true because the closer you are with someone, the more you should reveal about yourself, the more they should see your real self, your junk, the things you're working through, and be drawn to that. And I would say the closer you become to somebody, the more intimate your relationship should be. And how much even more valuable is that in our relationship with God? God is so close to us. God is so aware of who we are 
and he's seen us, and what we're going to see today is he's known us throughout our entire lives, so we should be the most authentic and open with him, because ultimately we have nothing to hide with him, because he knows us as we are. And along with that, too, God wants our real selves. Sometimes we think we've got to run from God. Maybe some of us in this room have been running from God and haven't been open and honest with him. But the reality is God loves you as you are and cares for you and wants to know you and wants you to know him more and more. And, and I think the, the more we run to God, the more he's going to reveal to us about ourselves and help us grow in our walk with him and help us to become ultimately more authentic with others too. And I feel like I've learned this um, just from personal experience. As some of you know my story, I grew up in a really good, healthy Christian home. Um, but in high school and into college, I started kind of living a double life where I was one person uh, around my family and church friends and another person around my uh, school friends. And I was just mostly just trying to fit in and get lost in the crowd rather than stand out. And I got involved in the party scene and other things like that just to fit in. And um, I came to BG, and I met a guy named Rob, and he started really meeting up with me and challenging me on what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus. And one day we were at Grounds for Thought right down the road, um, and we were just sitting there, and I said to him, Rob, it's interesting how we as human beings can act differently around certain groups of people, depending on the situation. And he said, well, hey, man, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, because if we're followers of Jesus, we should be the same around everybody, where our lives should reflect Christ in every area of our lives. And I think that's just so true. And that, and that showed me that, man, I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being honest with who I was, and I needed to grow from that. And so it was cool. As I began to open up my life to God, he began to reveal to me who I really was and who I was really created to be. And I think that's something we can all learn today. And so um, knowing that, I want us to look today at a guy named David. And in his psalm that he wrote is Psalm 139. And if you don't know David, David is one of the most famous kings in all of history. He was a Jewish king. Um, and he was a pretty cool king. He uh, was a king. He was a warrior. He fought battles. Um, and he was a poet, too. And he, he wrote many of the psalms we'll be looking at this summer. And he was actually in the line of Jesus. He was the ancestor of Jesus as well. And I think David is a great example of a man um, that men and women should look up to as someone who was honest with their emotions before God and before others. So the psalm we're going to look at, Psalm 139, and I think this psalm, if you want to turn there, is, is going to be helpful in helping us understand what does it really mean to live the authentic life. And my big idea and the big takeaway I want us to learn today is this, um, the foundation of the authentic life is our relationship with God. So again, if you want to write that down, our big idea is the foundation of an authentic life is our relationship with God. When that relationship is set, every other relationship will come together and help us to become more open and authentic people. And I think along with that, too, three things we can learn as we're reading through David and we're learning about this passage is this. David's going to show us that, A, God knows us. So if God knows us from there, we need to be honest and we need to seek him. And so those are the three things. God knows us, and so because of that, be honest and seek him. And so God knows us. And so we'll start reading in verse 1 if you want to follow along with me. Verse 1 says this. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. So pause there. So 
David starts this verse, and many of the psalms, the very first line of the psalm, will describe what the psalm is about. Just like songs or poetry, that is what it's going to be all about. So David starts with saying, God, you have searched me, and you know me. And so he builds on that, and he says, in the following verses, he describes how does God know him. And it's interesting here, what David does in these next 20 verses is he breaks up how God knows him, and he uses time as an illustration. And he starts with, God knows my future. He starts with, God knows my future. And we'll look in verse 2. He says this, You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so it's interesting here, David starts with God knowing our future. And I was, I was just thinking about this and processing, like, why would he start with future? Because usually when we talk about time, we talk about it in our past, present, and future. But David starts with future. And I think the reason is, is because the future is ultimately what we are anxious about the most, right? Like, the future is the thing we actually worry about most. Even if you're currently going through a storm or a trial, you're probably thinking about, man, what's going to happen because of this? How, what's, you know, when is this going to end? Where am I going, you know? This is what we experience. And what David kind of lays out perfectly is that God knows our hearts. God knows our future, and he designed it. He says things like, man, you, you know when I sit down, when, you, when I rise up. You know my paths. Even before words on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. And so what we can learn from this is God knows and has designed our future. So wherever we go, we know that we're with him. And so a big question that can come with this is, what about free will, right? If God knows my future and has designed my future, what about my own freedom and choice? And it's interesting because really when you look at this, a lot of people view freedom and free will on a spectrum where some people will say, we have complete free will. Nobody knows what I'm going to do. Every choice I make is by random chance, and it's going to affect a billion different things, Um, and nobody knows the end of my path. Not even God, not even me. This is the way I'm going. And then on the other end of the spectrum is what we call fatalism, where some people believe that every movement of your hand was predetermined by God. Every blink, every Twinkie you eat, which might have been predetermined by God, hopefully. Every Twinkie. I love Twinkies. But, but, uh, but every determined thing that you've done was predetermined by God. And most things that are on a spectrum, a lot of times the truth can be somewhere in the middle. And so what we believe when we look at H2O, when we look at the Bible, we see two things. One, we see that if we had complete 100% free will, that would mean that God isn't God. Because he wouldn't know our future, and we couldn't trust in his promises to come through. Because when, and when you look at the Bible, what's amazing is God prophesies something, and it happens exactly the way it was planned. Jesus' coming was prophesied 700 years ago by Isaiah, and it happened exactly the way he said it would. And so clearly, there's, God is in control, and we can trust him in our future. And then along with that, too, I don't think we're puppets. <laughs> I don't think every movement you make is totally determined by God, unless he wanted to use that for a reason. But 
Um, when you look at the Bible, people make decisions, and they are held responsible for the choices they make. And ultimately, they stand before God answering for those choices. Because if we were completely puppets, then that would mean that God causes us to sin. And when you look at um, James, the brother of Jesus, he talks about how God can't tempt or be tempted. And so if that's true, then we're not puppets. But somewhere in between, God is in control and sovereign and powerful and working out our future. But we have a responsibility to follow him and answer for the things that we continue to do, and ultimately trust him. And I think what this verse really lays out is David is choosing to trust in God for his plans, for his future, and know that God is guiding him along the way. And that's something we, we can really have faith in. And I think many of us here in this room, a lot of you just graduated a month ago. Some of you might be moving, you know, um, or you, maybe you're getting married like me soon. And there's some fear and some anxiety. Me, me and Sammy right now with getting married in a few months you know, we have some fears. We're worried about the next season with jobs and with finances and with moving and things like that. But what we're doing is we're trusting in God that he is going to lead us and he's going to direct us because he's already been doing that. God has already been doing that. He is present in our lives, which leads to the next point that David hits on in this passage, that God is present. God is present. And so verse 7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the ground, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the innermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. So what David is hitting on is this, that God is active in his life. He's present, he's with him, and he cares for him. And when we look at this, when we, you know, because he says, where can I go from your presence? I can't go anywhere without you being there. Many times when we hear this, we'll think, well, is God, like, spying on me? Like, is he an NSA agent, or if you've ever read 1984, you know, is he looking in on me? And, and, and I think um, that's an easy thing to kind of look at, but I think what we need to know is God isn't like that. He's not spying on you. God is God, and he is everywhere. And that's just who he is. And he cares for you, and he's a part of your life. Um, many people throughout history have believed this idea of deism, where God created the world, and then he just said, I'm going to get out of here. off my mic, maybe. (laughs) He said, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to let them take care of themselves, uh, and and just go with it. We believe the opposite here. We believe the opposite here, right? God is active in creation. God is a part of creation and part of the created order, and maybe my battery is dying for a reason. (laughs) Okay, can you hear me? Good? All right. Okay, so God is a part of creation. He's active in it. And so what we believe about that is because God is active, he is with you through the trials and through the storms of life that you're going through. And so this can be the big stuff or the small stuff. I've had people over the years talk with me and say, Joe, um, I don't like praying for myself. 
I don't like going to God for the little things that I'm going through in my life. Sometimes I just want to, if I know I can handle it, I just want to take, you know, take it and go with it and know I can carry the burden myself and not go to God. And I'm like, that's, that's not the way God works. <laughs> God wants to be in your life. God wants to be in the little intricate things in your life that you don't think are that important for him. They're actually important. So whatever you're going through, God cares about the little intricate details in your life. And then also, too, God cares about the big things, too. And so we can go to him when we need help and we need guidance. Because even in verse 12, it says this, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The light is bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. And so what this is saying here is that God is powerful to overcome any circumstance we're in and be able to help and guide us along the way. And I think that's just so cool to know that we're praying to a God that is powerful and can actually do something about it in whatever season we're in. And I think about this, um, an example, when I was growing up, how many of you like to ride bikes in here? I love, I love riding bikes. Um, when, when you're little, you know, and you're first learning how to ride a bike, it's kind of scary, right? You know, especially when you don't have training wheels on. Um, and my parents, you know, they helped me learn how to ride my bike. And they were, you know, as I was, you know, four-year-old kid or whatever when I was riding my bike, it was kind of scary, you know. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to totally fall over. Um, but it was cool because my parents were with me as they were teaching me how to ride a bike. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm afraid. But then my dad would be like, no, I'm with you. I got you. You're fine. I'm with you. And I think so often we can feel like that with God, where we're afraid and we're worried, but God is with us just like our parents are when they're teaching us how to ride a bike. He is guiding us and he's directing us. And when I look at my past and when I look at the things that have happened to me over the years or the pain that I've been in, when I'm in those seasons— Many times I don't totally understand what's going on. I'm like, God, why are you doing this? Why has this happened to me? Why is that person acting this way? And I don't understand it until you see the bigger picture. And then years later, you can look back and say, wow, God was faithful. He did that for a reason. And now I see the bigger story. And God sees that. He sees the bigger story. And as we look back, we can be thankful if we're trusting in him along the way that he's going to continue to provide for us. And that's what David sees, too, here in the next section. He talks about how God knows our past. And so verse 13 says this, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and am still with you. Isn't that just beautiful? I mean, that's just, like, so gorgeous. Like, that idea of God being with us in our mother's womb and knitting us together and making us and forming our days before we even begin it. That's just, like, so cool. And, and what stands out to me here is that you are not a random chance. Like, God made you for a reason. He's prepared you. He designed you for his purposes. You're not, again, you're not a random chance. And this is why we at H2O, we really value life. 
This is why we support organizations like the Pregnancy Center in town and other organizations that really push the idea of life being sacred and valuable and something we want to support and continue to grow. Because God made us. And as I was thinking about this too, how this personally can apply to just me and my own life, um, one of the things that stood out to me is if God is with you your entire life, that means he understands you, right? God understands who you are better than you understand who you are, which for some of us should give us peace because I know for me, I don't understand myself sometimes. (laughs) I don't fully grasp the things that I do. I'm like, why did I do that? And God knows us. God designed us and he fully understands us. One of the things for me is if I'm in conversations with people or if I'm, you know, in disagreements with family or coworkers or friends, many of the times those disagreements can come down to an understanding, right? And I don't know if you're like me, but many times I think, oh man, if I just word what I'm trying to say in the perfect way, they're going to totally understand me and then totally agree with me because I'm right if they just see from my perspective, which isn't always true because uh, I need to understand them too. It's both ways. But, um, What's cool, that, that understanding, that seeking to be understood, that's empathy. That's really listening to someone, understanding what they're saying, and being able to communicate back to them and then helping them along the way. That's empathetic. And what's, what's cool is God is perfectly empathetic. He perfectly understands who you are because he knows you from the moment he designed you. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. But God loves you and cares for you. And so a foundation with that, if God knows us, we need to trust in him. And we need to put our trust in him that he's going to continue to help us grow as men and women for him. And so David's foundation here is an understanding that God knows us. And then the next section of this poem is all about understanding what do we do now. And he gives us an example of what to do next. And the first thing is being honest. And so David starts, and we'll pick it up again in verse 19. He says this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. That's a good turn, right? (laughs) O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That was a lot. What's happening here? It's interesting in this, you know, in this part of the poem, David starts with saying, God, kill my, kill my enemies. Kill the people that are after me. Isn't he like a good guy? Like, aren't Christians, aren't we supposed to like be loving our enemies? And David's like, kill my enemies? What's going on here? Um, and as I was thinking about this, I think something that came across to me was the idea that David was not a perfect man, but he was an honest man. He was honest with the feelings he was feeling, and he, he wrote them down and prayed them to God. And put this in a little context, David is a man of war. Many of these psalms, this one probably he wrote on the battlefield as men were trying to kill him. Again, you know, if you're king, you know, people want to take your power. The Golden State Warriors are trying to take LeBron James's power right now. We need to fight them, right? Right? Anyways. Uh, <laughs> anyways. They want David's power. And so David, knowing that people are after him, he's honest about his emotions. He's taking that to God. And he's saying, God, help me. And he's putting his trust in God. He's not saying, God, give me the power to overcome 
what's happening to me. He's saying, God, I'm trusting in you that you're going to take care of it. I'm trusting that you're going to ultimately bring about change and protect me when the enemy comes. He's being honest. And I think um, as I was kind of researching just about the Psalms, I came across um, some quotes from Bono, who's a um, musician of U2, great guy. I've never met him, but I'm, I assume he's a really cool guy from every video I've seen of him. So I feel like we're friends, even though I've never met him. But that's just me. I don't know if anyone else is like that. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, he was talking. One of the things Bono, Bono is actually, he's a follower of Jesus. And he talks about how the Psalms have really impacted his life as a musician. And he says the honesty of the Psalms have really impacted him. And he said this. He said, We don't have to please God in any other way than to be brutally honest before him. This is the root of not only a relationship with God, but the root of a great song or any work of art of merit. The root of our relationship with God comes down to honesty and being honest before him, honest who we are and giving our our fear, our praises, or anything we have and our emotions before him. This, uh, this idea hit me practically a few weeks ago. I had a friend who reached out to me, someone I knew from a while back, and um, he asked if we could talk, and I said, sure, and so we talked on the phone, and he mentioned to me how lately he's been struggling in his walk with God, and he mentioned how, um, he's like, Joe, man, it's, it's been a struggle, you know, in my devotional times or in my prayer times. It's just been really hard. It felt like a chore. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Have you ever talked to God about that? He's like, what? I was like, yeah, have you ever, like, told God in those times, God, I'm struggling with this right now. He's like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, you can do that. (laughs) You can totally do that. God wants that. Be honest. Be honest with him, and then listen to what he says. Maybe he'll tell you why you're struggling right now. He's like, oh, okay. And then after that, a week later, he texts me, and he said, Joe, I want you to know I really took to heart what we talked about and I've already felt closer to God in my prayer times this last week. And he's like, I just started being open and honest, and God began working in my life. And what's cool is he was honest with God, and then he listened to God and what he had to say. And I think that's a part of honesty. It's, you know, not just throwing up all these random words and then walking away. When we're talking to God, we're, we're speaking, and then we're listening. Because he's a personal being that cares for us. And so we need to speak to him and listen to him. And that's the process that David will get into next about ultimately the honesty and building the relationship is seeking God. And so that's the final point David will hit on. It's seeking after God. And so he concludes in um, verse 23, he says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's anything grievous in my way and lead me in the way of everlasting. So David concludes this psalm similar to how he started this psalm with saying, God, seek me, O God, search me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. I think what's cool here is David's saying, God, you know me. You know me better than I know myself, so help me understand the things I'm going through and help me understand myself. I think what's cool is who better to understand us than God? Who better to help us know the depths of our soul than God who designed it and made us? And I think this seeking God is really a time thing and a pursuit thing, making time to pursue after the things of God. 
And as I was thinking about this, I came across the example of relationships. You know, if you're a relationship with a guy or a girl that you like, or, you know, if you're married or you have kids um, or you have a really good friend, if you only talk to that person for like 10 minutes once a day or once a week, your relationship's probably going to be pretty shallow. It's not going to be very deep beyond that. And so often I think we do that in our relationship with God. We'll, you know, we'll come to church on Sunday or we'll come, you know, occasionally we'll pray to him when we need something. And, and we'll just say, good, I did my job. When God wants way more than that. He wants our hearts. He wants our soul. He wants our um, devotion. If we are only putting the minimal amount of work on our walk with God, our relationship with God is only going to grow at a minimal amount. It takes more. It takes effort. And I heard a story um, recently from this guy um, Bill Hybels, he's a pastor in Chicago. He's a guy I look up to a lot. And he was telling the story about how early on in the early days of his church, um, he was preaching on prayer. And afterwards, this guy came up to him. He was a young businessman, well-dressed. And he said to Hybels, he said, hey, um, great sermon today. I can't do any of that. And Bill's like, wait, what? What do you mean? And he's like, praying, you know, spending time with God. I am so busy. I'm making so much money. I just don't have any time to devote to this. And Hybels, and he, he, he said that himself, he was surprised he said this, but out of nowhere, he just said, you know what? When I look at my life and I look at the things I spend time on, I spend time on the things I value. If I value a relationship with God, if I value spending time with him, I make time for that. If I don't, I won't. And just kind of left it at that. And the guy went away and meditated on that. And that really changed his life. And he began developing habits in his life, spending time with God. And it it changed him. And God began to use him in great ways. And I think so often that, that principle and that message of time, we can be so busy. All of us in this room have different levels of things and responsibilities in our life. And I'm telling you, And the Bible's telling us, too, that our relationship with God is the most primary thing we need to spend our time in. That is the center of everything else that we do. We need to be pursuing God and ultimately, too, trust that God is pursuing us. In a relationship, you need two people to pursue each other, right? And make time, sacrifices, and pursue one another. What's cool with God is his side is perfectly working. He is perfectly pursuing us. It's not a struggle for him. He actively is pursuing us. All we need to do is receive it. All we need to do is take in the love and pursuit he's giving us and receive the promises he's given us. And so knowing that, we can be rest assured that he's doing his side, and all we need to do is seek him and receive what he's seeking. And then he's going to reveal to us the desires of our heart, just like David talks about. And so with that in closing today, to, you know, to recap, the foundation of our life, our authentic life with God, begins with our relationship with God. And so because of that, we need to know that God knows us. God knows you. And so be honest with him. Be honest with him and seek, seek him day after day. And I found in my own life, the more I've opened my life to God, the more I've trusted him, the more I've been authentic before him, He's helped me grow to be the man that I know he's calling me to be and helping me along the way um, and helping me to be more open and authentic with the world around me. And I think what's cool about this is that God knows us. We have nothing to hide from him. 
He cares for us. And so often I think some of us maybe in this room, we hear this idea of opening our lives to God and we'll think, man, he's not going to accept me. He's not going to want me because he's seen what I've done. I probably need to clean myself up first or figure things out. When the opposite is true, God isn't in love with a future version of yourself. He's in love with you as you are. Now, he's going to help you grow along the way, but he ultimately cares for you as you are. All we need to do is receive it. And what we're singing today, even some of the songs that talked about how Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid for the sin and the burden and the things that you've done wrong in your life. And so because of that, we can approach the throne with confidence and trusting in humility that God has, loves us and cares for us each and every step of the way. And so this week, this message, I hope, really impacts you and really speaks to your life. If you look in your handouts, we have a handout of this psalm. Um, and what I want you to do this week is I want you to take this paper and reflect on this psalm in your own quiet time with God. Make time to spend time with God and reflect on this message and what David is talking about, how we can grow in our walk with Jesus. And so I want you guys to take that this week and really receive this message. And then through that, we're going to sing like David. And we're going to sing that God can search our hearts and know us and help us grow to know ourselves better. And so with that, I'm going to close in prayer and the band will come up and we'll close in worship. So.